3: Something happens to you when you leave this town. farther away, the hazier it all gets. We made a nose.
1: If it ever comes back,
3: we'll come back to you.
1: We can't let it happen again.
0: Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. Today we are going to discuss It Chapter 2, the sequel to It Now, It Chapter 1 directed by Andy Muschietti. I'm joined today by Jack Hamilton, who is Slate's pop critic and an assistant professor of American and Media Studies at the University of Virginia. Hello, Jack.
2: Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Thanks for having me. You're welcome.
0: Uh, And I'm also joined by a former Slate staffer who I'm delighted to see in the studio today, Laura Bradley, who is now Hollywood writer at Vanity Fair. Hi, Laura.
2: Hi,
1: good to be back.
0: Although I'm leading us in today, I'm going to turn things over to you, Jack, um, because I already cannot remember what happens in this three-hour movie. Um, <laughs> and Jack, as you all will learn, as our resident IT scholar, uh, is quite familiar with both the book and now has seen the movie more recently than we have. The first thing, though, what we should do before I turn it over is just we do the baseline thing. We talk about what we thought of the movie. Uh, why don't I start with you, Laura?
1: It was so long. That's that. My primary, <laughs> my primary thought, especially now having seen it a couple weeks ago and also feeling the plot points slowly dripping out of my brain is that I remember how long it was. And I remember that the ending made me think that there's really very few ways to make that compelling on screen.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, to turn it to myself, and we'll let Jack go last because I feel like he's going to have the most thoughts. Uh, <laughs> my primary thing was like, it was... I actually didn't think it felt all that long for most of it, but then when they did another thing where they broke them all apart in the, for separate subplots again for a second time where they were all like fighting it for like another five minutes each individually before they got back into the actual battle, I was just like, Jesus.
1: That wasn't thrilling for you? At
0: some point, at some <laughs> point, you just have to... I mean, it's a, they already took a ton of stuff out of the book. I didn't understand why they couldn't just, you know, just kill your dogs a little bit. Mm-hmm. Ma- mainly, I did not think it was very good. I didn't love the original movie either. Um, I thought that... It was somewhat scary and relatively competently made, and the kids were charming, kind of, as like this proto Stranger Things crew. But I didn't think the didn't think the movie was particularly. I know that one of them is literally from Stranger Things. I think, yes. Uh, but I didn't. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, but this new one, it, I just thought was oppressively long and oppressively uh, devoted to random asides that don't make sense in the movie that perhaps did in a novel.
2: Yeah.
0: What did you think, Jack? <laughs>
2: Well, I saw the movie last night, so it's kind of probably freshest in my mind. Um, and yeah, as I'll get into later, I've, I've read the book a lot. Um, <laughs> but I actually went in uh, with very low expectations because I'd read a bunch of reviews, which were um, pretty negative. Uh, and I actually didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it was way too long. Um, but I was expecting it to be, I think, more sort of incoherent and just generally maybe incompetent. Um, That's sort of what I'd read, like sort of gleaned from some of the reviews. Um, But I actually found like particularly the middle part to be like very scary. Um, I definitely think it got way too long and it it bit off more than it could chew. And I think, Jeff, you're right that like there's just, they should have taken a more uh, kind of rigorous axe to parts of the book that just it just didn't translate to this to this version but i honestly like i was expecting to like it, to have it be a real ordeal sitting through this 3 hour movie and maybe it's just because the sort of original material has this weird, sentimental place in my heart. But I, I was pretty well entertained for the for the, for the the full three hours. I definitely think it could have lost about half an hour.
0: Uh, I tend to agree. I, I did not think it was unwatchable, mostly, uh, with the exception, should we just start at the beginning of the movie, of <laughs> sure. uh, the scene at the beginning of the movie, because that I did think was unwatchable and have a lot of problems with. But I'm going to keep to my word and turn it to you, Jack, because I truly, after that scene, can't even remember what comes after. So let's start at the beginning.
2: Yeah, so I read your piece, which was, which was great about that that scene and how um, sort of awkwardly, and, and yeah, kind of offensively, I think it, it fits within the film. Um, so the opening scene of the movie is basically a pretty graphically rendered hate crime um, that is in the novel and is is a big moment in the novel, but um, so the two main, probably a lot of people know this, but the two main differences that have happened in the adaptation of the book for these two films is the first one is that in the book, the childhood sequences and the adulthood sequences are narratively intertwined. So it jumps back and forth rather than being a part one and part two. Um, and the other big difference is that the book is, the childhood sequences of the book are set in the mid to late 1950s um, and the, and, and, and the um, Adult sequences are in the mid 1980s. Um, and I kind of feel like those things, like, are like a lot of the awkwardnesses and just sort of things that really, really don't work um, in the movie can kind of be drawn back to those two things. Like, I personally think that in the book, the sort of Adrian Mellon murder, which, Jeff, as you point out, is based on a, a real thing. Um, a, a real event that King like adapted really quite directly um, and incorporated into the book, it doesn't land as sort of... Uh, like, like There's a way that in the movie it just feels kind of exploitative. In the book, that sequence happens immediately after the murder of Georgie Denbrough that opens the first movie. So it's these sort of twin horrors that are kind of juxtaposed with one another as opposed to in this movie where it just feels like it comes out of nowhere and ser- serves no purpose for the rest of the film really. And yeah, I mean, that's like, I, I I do think that there's a lot of, um, yeah, for me, a lot of the issues with the film were the things that they decided to keep in. And to a certain degree, I can understand why they kept that. in. I think if they had left it out, there also would have been criticism of like, Hey, there's this like really prominent hate crime in the book. That's like this really wrenching scene. And like the movie just decides to ignore that. Like I could definitely see some like headlines about that at the same time like i think you were right in your article that like it should have been just one of the things that they they left out because they did a terrible job with it and to me i think yeah part of it is just that the choices that they made in terms of what they kept in what they left out and then what they added were really strange um i'm now sounding very very negative on this movie Which i which again, I did I did mostly kind of enjoy, but obviously, um I don't know, as I mentioned before, I think I've read this book something like uh, I think I tried to count. I wrote an article about this for Slate a couple of years ago when the first movie came out. i think I think I've read it six times over the course of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my favorite novel, which is kind of an insane thing to admit and might get me fired from my uh, professor job. <laughs> well, but, that. Um, Yeah, no, but it is, it's this weird book. I I mean, I read it when I was, first read it when I was about 12, I think. And it just was so, I was so taken with it. It's one of the only books that I read the whole book and then just immediately came back and like went back to the first page and read the whole thing again, um, which is kind of insane that since it's 1100 pages or something like that. Yeah, but I don't know. I just, uh, so it's hard for me to sort of distance my experience watching the film from how, how Uh, well-versed I am with the source material and also sort of weirdly emotionally invested in it.
0: I mean, that makes sense. I think, to be clear what happens in this scene, because I suspect a lot of our listeners today will be people who um, have absolutely no intention of watching it chapter two. I think a lot of people listen (laughs) to the horror episodes of the show, which they're happy to know what happens, but they have no intention of actually sitting through it. Um, So what actually happens in this scene is that there's a couple of young men, um, Adrian Mellon is the main one, and I forget the other guy's name, and they're at a town fair in Derry, which is sort of one of King's towns. And um, they kiss, and some local teenagers notice them kissing. And then there's words exchanged, a very weird joke about Meg Ryan's hair that I don't oh, yeah. understand at all. Yeah, that was or, really uh, weird. <laughs> uh, like, no one laughed, and I was like, gay I, I men have better jokes than that. And then uh, they, the teenagers brutally beat them. Um, they throw an asthmatic one who's beat up the worst because he fights back into a creek. And then Pennywise jumps out and starts eating him. Um, and it is a very disturbing sequence, uh, and I think it is fine. I mean, it's an It movie. The last movie opened with a child's arm being bitten off. I think it's totally reasonable that that happens. But also, uh, it, like like Jack was saying, it's based on a real murder um, in King's hometown that happened two years before the original novel was released. It obviously affected King. The treatment in the book is long and extensive and, and rich, I think, considering that it is sort of like a side plot in a way, um, mm-hmm. and then in the movie, it's just sort of as Jack said, out of nowhere, and it's it's just an extremely brutal and graphic depiction that I think is it, kind of irresponsible, given that they don't explore it at all. And, and I, I really feel in the movie that it's used for shock value. Um, I don't think that was the intention. I, I think the filmmakers are sincere in in trying to adapt, but I just I, I just thought it was. Uh, An egregious miscalculation. Uh, What did you think, Laura?
1: I mean, I went back and forth on it. Overall, I found it by far more horrifying than anything that came after. Certainly. Uh, And it's one of the very few. I mean, it was really graphic in a way that you don't often see. And it just, it stuck with me more than probably any image from the film. And the thing that I kept coming back to was, I have a feeling the intention was to sort of really play up the real-life horror that we do to each other, right? Yeah, and, that's what the filmmakers
0: have said as right. much. Um, and I uh, think that's fine.
1: But then if you're going to do that, it feels very weird that, as you say, it pretty much disappeared as quickly as it appeared. It's, you know, mentioned in passing a couple times, but seems to have very little influence over the proceedings afterward. So if you're going to sort of play that up as the angle and do a very graphic depiction to drive it home, it does seem a little undercooked to then do that and then just have no, just have no reflection afterward.
0: Yeah, there is one p- possible plot echo in a character, a changing one of the characters um, played by Bill Hader, which I think we can discuss when we get to mm-hmm. it. And I suspect, I have no way of proving it, but I suspect that it was their attempt to like, take care of this problem, although they've um, spun it differently in the press. We don't need to dwell on this scene, but it is quite brutal and if you are planning to see the movie and you're the sort of person who is particularly sensitive to that kind of violence I'd recommend not watching it (laughs) it definitely Mm -hmm. caught me off guard I did not know about it before I saw the movie or yeah so I didn't I I think we we talked a little before we started recording which we were not allowed to do and we shouldn't have but basically Jack is the only one who has read the book Laura maybe read it in high school
1: I read it in high school and remember very little of it
0: yeah and I don't know that I ever even tried it seems so long I'm not a Stephen King like complete any means
3: (laughs) Dot .com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living, available to buy now wherever books are sold.
0: Um, <laughs> all right, Jack, take us past that terrible moment into the rest of this very long movie.
2: Yeah, so I mean the movie basically is the the conceit is that um, you know, every 27 years in dairy. Uh, this sort of rash of killings happens. There's this sort of evil that is living there at the end of the last movie. Um, the children uh, in the late 80s have made a pact that they will return. All this is very much from the book. And then, yeah, the killings start again. Um, again, first the first sort of displayed by that brutal sequence that we were just discussing. Um, but then similarly to the first film, uh, children start disappearing, things like that. And yeah, so the losers who um, are all grown up now and are all very successful, which is actually an aspect of the book that the book develops a lot. And the movie weirdly doesn't really go into, like the significance of the fact that they're all kind of hyper successful. And uh, and then they they come back to Derry. They've also all forgotten what has happened since they were. 12, 13 years old in the in the in the first film. Um, and so there's a process of kind of remembering. Um, again, all of this happens like. Is, is quite brisk in the in the narrative of the movie. Like, this is something, again, you know, with an 1,100-page book or whatever it is, you have a lot more sort of luxury to sort of develop this gradually. Uh, a lot kind of happens. I mean, probably inevitably the movie is a little oddly paced, I would say. But yeah, so the, they reassemble, and now we're treated to a pretty impressive assemblage of, of movie stars. You know, you've got Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, um, as Jeff mentioned. Um, and then a a number of other, uh, the, the acting I thought was, was mostly quite good for, you know, quite good for the film. (laughs) Um, yeah, maybe, I mean, I didn't find any of it distractingly bad, I would say. Um, and I thought that the, the, the performances that were, that I felt like were somewhat lackluster, felt to me more like a problem of of writing, um, that I think certain of the characters, just like the actors, were not given nearly enough to do. Uh, the most notable of those being Mike Hanlon, which was a, I, probably my biggest problem of the film was the depiction of Mike Hanlon, which I can get into later, um, who's a really, really important part of the book um, and like a really crucial kind of narrative and sort of moral center, who the movie just like, kind of ignores for vast, vast portions of it, which is particularly weird because he's like the only character of color uh, in the Losers Club. He's he's a black man. And um, the film seems to, both films seem to have no idea sort of what to do with the kind of racial aspects of, of, of his dynamic within the town, which is something that the books, really, really emphasize that he's been the victim of really, really vicious racism. Again, part of this is because the first books are set, the the, the childhood part of the book is set in the 1950s, you know, whereas I think maybe the filmmakers felt a little awkward about doing that in 1989, you know, that you would have a black character who was just like relentlessly subjected, a black child character who was relentlessly subjected to sort of racial harassment. But yeah, uh, so then, sorry, that (laughs) got... Um, well, we can. Why don't but, we uh,
0: let? Why don't we let Laura take us into this dinner? And yeah. what happens right before sure, the again. dinner? Do you remember a certain character does not show up to the dinner?
1: Ah, uh, yes, oh, right. <laughs> Stan. Who so leading up to the dinner? Essentially, everybody gets their phone call from Mike Hanlon saying, "Hey, remember this terrible thing uh, that happened to all of us? Well, it's happening again. You need to come back. We made this pact." And having to remind people that they made this pact at all and that, yes, they really do need to come back. So you've got Bill Hader playing Richie. Uh, He's a comedian. He vomits upon getting this phone call uh, and then goes and bombs. So everybody has their various reactions. And for one, uh, Stan, he actually commits suicide. He kills himself. So the entire group reunites at the restaurant for a scene that for me was one of the ones that I instantly remembered from the miniseries.
2: Mm -hmm. Because I
1: believe that was actually the moment I watched, I ended up seeing the miniseries during some sort of field trip, I think, in middle school. Mm -hmm. And I believe that was the exact scene that I walked in for and then proceeded to be very confused (laughs) by the rest of the movie, but very intrigued. Um,
0: Yeah, I rewatched that scene after this too. And it's quite lovingly done in both movies, I think. It is, yeah. Especially The effects in this movie are probably worth unpacking because there's quite a bit of them. Definitely. Um, But that scene was fun, I thought.
1: That scene was one of the ones I enjoyed the most, actually, just in terms of the ways that they sort of followed up the effects. And it felt felt very faithful to, you know, just the story in the miniseries as I remembered it, just having these, the scenes felt very similar, more similar than many of the other scenes between the two sort of visual uh, adaptations that we've gotten. But anyway, so the whole group is wondering why Stan is not there. They don't know. Uh, it's not until after they've been completely scared out of their minds in the restaurant and trashed the entire place, uh, much to the <laughs> chagrin of the poor waitress who comes and discovers this scene. Uh, it's not until afterward that they leave the restaurant and then, I believe, get a phone call or they call I think they call Stan's wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: there's like there's fortune cookies. Tell them that the, he's dead. That's or right. The fortune, yeah.
1: yeah. The fortune, the fortune cookies. There's the little paper. Each uh, fortune, they all add up uh, to say that Stan. Has died. It said something about cutting. I think something. couldn't make the cut or something oh, like yes. that. Yeah, yeah. It was Guest something
2: Stan very. Stan couldn't make the cut. Couldn't right. cut it. Yeah, yeah, mm, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah,
1: Stan. Something like that. And so then they leave the restaurant, call, I believe, Stan's wife, uh, and find out what happened. And then everybody gets various degrees of freaked out, and most of them leave, saying, you know, understandably, screw this. Why on earth would I engage with this again?
0: Yes. And before we move on, I do want to ask, Jack, you've referenced, why is it that it's significant that they're successful?
2: So part of the thing in the book is basically about, um, I, at least as I recall, it's been, it's been a little while since I read it, but their success is one of the things that is keeping them away from dairy. Like one of the weird things that the movie does is the movie really does it leans hard on the idea that Pennywise or It, whatever, wants wants them to come back. Whereas the movie, uh, the book is like a little less direct about that. And the idea is that like, they've all become extremely successful much in the way that um, they've all left Derry. Like that this is sort of this way that their success is actually something that has happened to them to keep them from coming back. Either it's something that they have subconsciously done to create these lives for themselves where it allows them to sort of put their experience in the town aside Or it is something that has sort of cosmically happened to them that is maybe linked to, you know, the the sort of evil force in Derry to keep them away. Um, Because there is a, yeah, that is, I mean, they are, you know, who ends up killing Pennywise. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I suppose it is a spoiler
0: special. (laughs) Um, So after that, they all kind of start dispersing. And there's a lot of dispersing in this movie. Um, Yeah, there is. (laughs) Um, They are constantly separating and having their own subplots. And I'm trying... Again, I'm like... I guess I have similar amnesia to the um, kids and adults in this movie because I truly don't even remember what the next thing that happens is.
2: I think the next one is when Beverly... And this to me was probably the scariest scene in the movie was when Beverly goes to her old apartment, Beverly Mm -hmm. played by Jessica Chastain, and meets this very creepy old woman who's living in this very creepy apartment. And then she turns into this, like, naked, 15-foot-tall, like... (laughs) Yeah, again, the special effects were pretty were pretty wild, um, but that was a sequence that I thought was genuinely very scary um, and genuinely felt very, uh, very Stephen King.
0: Yeah, I quite liked that sequence too. Um, they kind of made an entire trailer out of it that I saw on thirteen mm-hmm. times in theaters before I saw this movie, which <laughs> took a little bit of the wind out of its sails for me. But I did. I did think it was very fun. I actually, can I ask you, Laura, maybe now is a good time to talk about the fact that Jessica Chastain is in this movie. Jessica Chastain is, a, of all the actors in the movie, I would say probably the most accomplished. She's sort of a Broadway egghead thespian, I would say. She's also, I mean, obviously she's also a movie star, but she's out, She's sort of an outspoken um, advocate for... Actresses and also the depiction of sexual assault on film. And this movie basically opens with a scene, also with her and her abusive husband, who, my understanding, is the much larger part of the book. And in this movie, he's only seems to be in that part. And he, uh, it's it's a sexualized abuse scene where it seems like he, she's going to be raped, but then she, or he's going to rape her, and then he attacks, uh, and then she attacks him back and runs away, basically, and goes to Derry. And then she's in this other, like, really kind of graphic horror scene that involves her father, who was also sexually abused her. And it's like, it's this horror movie this sort of this genre thing. And I thought it was an interesting choice for her to be in it. What is your sort of read on that?
1: I mean, it's funny because fans were campaigning for her to be in it from the beginning, the minute they saw Sophia Lillis, I believe is her name, who plays young Beverly. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. But especially if you're going to have a character who carries this much emotional weight, this much trauma, this many very tricky scenes to play, it makes sense that the most... As you say, accomplished performer, be that person. So, I mean, those scenes again were some of the most uncomfortable for me to watch. I mean, admittedly, I'm the type of person who doesn't really get scared by horror movies, which is uh, always a very obnoxious thing to say. But I don't say that dismissively. I still really enjoy them, even if I'm not scared. What I always come back to is what images I remember. And so, the things, and it was striking to me that in this movie, almost exclusively, Other than that uh, restaurant scene, all of the images that stuck with me were those of violence that actually happens in real life. And, I mean, it's always tricky to include scenes like this, and I'm always unsure of how I feel about them. But, I mean, I did consistently find myself thinking that the cycle of abuse is very real. The domestic violence, if you endure it as a young person, you're more likely to end up facing it again later, So, I mean, overall, I thought it was effectively executed, if very unpleasant to watch. And I'm glad that I think Chastain did a really good job with it.
0: I agree. I mean, I think that those scenes were handled much better. There's much more of an arc. It's like, as you say, it's much more about sort of the process that uh, victims and um,
1: survivors often go through. I understood why it was there to a greater degree, I guess, is what I'm saying. Especially because it's so tied in with her experience of Pennywise it all makes sense
0: yeah I think that's right so Jack I think that a lot of people view it as kind of like lurid horror clown trash basically (laughs) and for you it's a sort of more seminal text I mean what is your like (laughs) like, well I know I mean I think that that's I think a lot of people love the book and it's obviously become a fanboy thing almost now I mean based on the response I got to that thing I've written already the emails oh wow yeah yeah. Uh, they've been constant um Uh, but so you, I mean, do you, do you view this as like a, a really like accomplished American drama? Like, I mean, what is your sort of read on like that aspect of this movie depicting quite graphic and intense things You you were referring before to the books, more robust, um, Treatment of race, um, and obviously this assault part of it is a big thing. There's a lot of different sort of traumas running through this.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the book is a really interesting. It's it's a very interesting and unique book in a lot of ways. I mean, it's not like you know, it's not like a perfect novel or like <laughs> you know, it's like. Um, I mean, it's. I have a weird sort of irrational attachment to it because I think the age I was when I read it and just was, you know, I just was. I read so much Stephen King when I was a kid, and his his books just meant so much to me. Um, it was cool seeing. Him. He has a cameo in the film too, which was kind of kind of cool, wearing his like uh, you know ratty old Neil Young t-shirt.
0: <laughs> but yeah, uh,
2: I thought he was a half good actor. Totally, it was an enjoyable yeah, cameo. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah, totally. It, it was cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, the book is a lot richer in the in the sort of themes it's able to go into. The book is really, I think, is is most effective in its in its depictions of childhood. um, That's something that King is really, really good at writing. And it's able to do a lot more. um, It it ends up being surprisingly emotionally complex. Like one of the big differences between the movie and the book is um, at the end of the movie, there's a sequence where Bill Denbro is talking to Mike, and he's like, "I'm not forgetting this time." And they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to forget." And then, like, the movie kind of ends. The book mm-hmm. actually ends with them forgetting, um, yeah. and they start they start really forgetting everything about each other. Uh, Beverly and Ben do end up together at the end of the book, but um, yeah, and it's like this really bittersweet thing. The book ends basically with Mike's narration, where he's trying to re- he's trying to write like sort of finish his own book about what happened in Derry and he can't remember. So stuff like that is, is done really well. There's also like to come back to the sort of theme of abuse. One of the things the book does that is actually pretty powerful is that a lot of the kids who are killed by the clown are themselves victims of of child abuse um, prior to their their death at the hands of Pennywise. And so there's this real, or they're just sort of these very marginalized children, you know, they're poor, they're sort of outside of the mainstream. So there is this weird kind of conscience that the book has of like, these kids are partly being murdered because like no one gives a shit about them, you know? And like, no one is really, and like this is sort of Gary's own indifference to its population. Um, So that's like handled, I think, a, a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it is some like, you know, great American novel. I mean, I do think it's probably like King's most ambitious and accomplished work. I mean, his two massive books are this and The Stand and each have their own partisans. I personally think it it is a it is a superior novel to The Stand. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's its, its own animal. <laughs> I mean, it's just a completely nuts book. And like, it's just so long. And it's, you know, it's this great idea. And then, um, I mean, it's an amazing idea. That's a King is like. It's he's, he's a genius at coming up with these concepts. Um, and then the last like two or 300 pages of the book are just completely insane. And you either buy into them or you don't. And if, for whatever reason, like when I first read it, I was like, hell yeah, I'm like going there with you. Like, <laughs> 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 so it's yeah, it's like, but that's, that too is one of the things that the movie just like, I mean, I, I felt like the last half hour, 45 minutes of the movie just really spiraled into nonsense.
0: Yeah, I tend to see, uh, feel the same way. Um, so we are we need to move through more of the plot of this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so yeah. much of it. Um, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> yeah. So basically, we don't to not go through everything. There's that scene with the old woman in yeah. which is really just a form of it, it, it turns out, uh, or Pennywise, I think, Um and then there is just a series of smaller scenes where people basically revisit the horrors. That scene takes place in Beverly's Childhood Home. And then one by one, sort of all the kids uh, have their own little individual scenes while they're deciding whether or not to stay in town. And I don't recall. What, what makes them stay? Like, well, how, does, how do they all come back together? Do you remember? The adults? Yes. They all are about to leave, kind of. And then they yeah. all start having various horror things happen That to was
1: when, well, they were about to leave, but then it was um, Bill, right? Bill <laughs> James McAvoy, H- who Bill. stays in the parking lot with Mike Hanlon. They have that whole conversation. And then Mike Hanlon's like, no, you got to come to my house. I've got this whole legend I've got to tell you. Uh, yes. The kids have been dying. I've he got the legend. So I've got to... <laughs> Uh,
0: This is perfect, actually, because we we can explain now the very bizarre, but I thought actually surprisingly coherent mythology. I feel like if I turn this over to you, Jack, we're going to get like a real dissertation. So I'm going to let Laura do it. So come on, you you well you can I think you can do it. So this scene, they're at Mike's house, and Mike drugs Bill <laughs> straight literally, up drugs him literally, <laughs> literally drugs him, drugs which
1: him, is, him. is one of the yeah. more bananas moments in this movie. <laughs> Just casually drugs him. He
0: gives him some sort of like I don't know what is that normally called like uh, it's some sort of like bro- ayahuasca or something. Yeah, exactly <laughs> ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and he wants him to look at this like sort of Native American artifact that explains why Pennywise yes. is on Earth and why is Pennywise on Earth, uh, Laura.
1: Uh, She's shaking her head
0: Uh, To those of you who can't see her as I
1: can Uh, I remember that like he like came down to earth Like a comet or something right
0: So it seems that he's an alien Right And he was um, the Native Americans thought that they had destroyed him And at that point in the movie we feel like they did But we don't really understand understand why Why he's back if they killed him
1: Well, And more importantly I remember wondering If he's back and this whole thing didn't work Why do we think it'll work now? That was the question I immediately had. Like I remember it was like a group ritual where they had to sort of all like chant together or something and then that would like contain him in this weird little cone box thing that they had.
0: Yeah, so it was a cone box thing and basically bills hallucinating and seeing all of this play out like in right. the box or on the box or something and like getting the history maybe a couple hundred years ago or something and it seems that they vanquished him and that's what they're that's basically what they're going to try to do again. Um how do we do with that jack?
2: Uh, yeah, that was was a really weird sequence. I mean, to be one of the things that's amazing about this movie is that like some of the weirdest, most like bizarre choices are things that aren't actually from the book. Like the native American thing. Like I was like, what's going on here? Like, what is this? Like, what are you guys introducing? And then like, yeah, like the artifact, which basically is like one of those like ghostbusters, you know, like ghost trapping things. It seemed like,
0: so that's totally new to the movie.
2: I mean, there isn't a, a mythology in the book um, that's 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 pretty weird and convoluted, but it's not Mike Hanlon's gone to an Indian tribe and uh, stolen an artifact. Like that's like that, <laughs> that that unless I'm completely blanking on that. Yeah, and there's not a uh, there's not a dosing scene um in terms of <laughs> him slipping an acid. There are there is like a hallucination scene in the book, but it's, it's different. Um yeah, I mean, I don't know, like it's like that was weird. But at the same time, like, I guess I was like, whatever, like, you need some sort of explanation. And, and like, it, it's not like the book, the explanation in the book is any less convoluted. It's just sort of differently convoluted.
0: I see. Well, somehow after that, Bill does not even flee, but Bill maybe perhaps feels a renewed need to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and at some point, they all reconvene together. And they even have a conversation, I think, about not splitting up. But then they start splitting up again.
1: Yeah, I, right. I, I do. I do remember that. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, Jack, take us take us over the hump here. Uh, where do we go after that? We're we're getting maybe close to halfway through the movie at this point.
1: Are we at the part where Bill gets obsessed with the skateboard kid? Because that is oh
2: like... Oh my God, yeah, <laughs>
0: That is that
1: the thing I really one. came here to talk about. <laughs>
2: not in the book. Like.
0: <laughs> so Bill, by the way, if we haven't said, is played by James McAvoy. Yeah. Ostensibly the lead of the movie. Um, although he gets like less screen time and just doesn't... Like a lot of the other actors kind of have his lunch, I think. And so yeah. he's not yeah. as prominent as you would think. Um so yeah let's go into the the skateboard boy is sort of his individual trauma. Obviously he's meant to be a mirror for Georgie who's a little boy right. who's eaten at the beginning of the first movie um and is his little brother um who continues yeah. to haunt him in this movie. Run us through that a little bit Jack.
2: Yeah so there's this sort of skateboard kid kid character who functions in the yeah in the movie as this kind of like Bill re, having to relive the trauma and his own sort of blaming himself. For his brother dying in the first movie. And then there's this kind of extended sequence where Bill goes into a funhouse, um, a little on the nose, uh, <laughs> and is running around trying to uh find this kid, because the kid's trapped in the fun house and Pennywise is in the funhouse and sort of clown character. And then there is this like pretty terrifying sequence of um. Yeah, the kid getting basically murdered in front of in front of Bill's eyes. Although it's interesting, the movie I, I I would be interested in your thoughts, like I your guys' thoughts. I was not totally sure how much of that was supposed to be a hallucination versus an act. One of the actual child murders. Like it's it's it definitely seemed like like I couldn't tell whether that was like as opposed to certain other scenes where you're like, oh okay, I'm definitely seeing someone get killed by Pennywise. I couldn't tell if that was like you know Pennywise just sort of messing with. With Bill's head um, again, that sequence is is not in the in the book. Uh,
0: I I took it to be literal. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a hallucination. Maybe it was supposed
1: to be. I thought that you weren't really supposed to know. Actually, yeah. that was kind of. Mm-hmm. I was thinking basically that Bill's psyche is at this point just getting so fragmented that it's really hard for him to tell, and therefore hard for us to tell. Uh, especially, you know, the whole fun house trope, I think, sort of accentuates that point of mm-hmm. what you're seeing might not actually be what is real. And also, yeah, it, is, true. it is interesting that at this point, I think this is, what, the third uh, piece of media we've gotten this year that includes a scary fun house? It was in Us, we had one in Stranger Things, and now we have it here. Like, this is really a good year for a uh, terrifying fun totally. Huh.
0: That's interesting. I-, I agree with you that that sequence is really... Terrifying. There's a lot of terrifying child murders in this. The other one with the yeah. little, poor little girl.
1: Yeah, a lot of. Yeah. That's
0: another one that has no connection to the story that they just threw in for fun. Uh, there's a scene where there's a little girl who's at a like a baseball game or mm. football or something, and um, Pennywise lures her in because she has a birthmark on her face and under he, the
1: bleachers. Yeah. Yes,
0: and, and makes her think that like he doesn't have any friends because people make fun of him for being different too, and then he eats her. It's very yeah. awful. <laughs>
1: it is. It is. <laughs>
0: So that scene was his individual trauma. We already talked about Beverly's, which was sort of revisiting her father's sexual abuse and kind of dealing with that also existing in her adult life. For Mike, his is that his family burned alive in an apartment fire. Mm -hmm. And the sequence that is, so he's revisiting that at this time too. And I can't, I don't totally understand. Is the implication that he didn't bother to save them because they were drug addicts? Like, I was a little bit always confused by that particular, what they were trying to imply with that scene.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that. I think my impression was more that he was traumatized by, obviously, what happened. And then also the way, wasn't there a whole thing about the way that it was talked about sort of in the press and among people? Like, oh, your family was, like, you know, crack addicts that, like, died in their apartment, something like that. Yeah, kind of I thought that—so,
0: that uh, Jack, what was
1: your read on what was going on there?
2: Yeah, so that was, as I sort of teased earlier, that that part of the movie really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, this is, like, in the book, Mike's family is basically—Mike comes from basically the only stable family, and he has, like, a totally loving father and and mother but he, his relationship with his father is like particularly a big part of the book and like his father's being this sort of link to this history of racism in, in Derry and this history of sort of white supremacist violence which the movie just doesn't really know what to do with so like but weirdly it's like move to try to turn Mike into a sort of trauma victim is turning his parents into crack addicts which is just like Oh, it's such a racist trope like it's like like it's just yes. so it's so kind of gratuitous and like i i just found it kind of galling that they that they did that um and again speaks to just like the fact that i think that they didn't know how to do that character and how to translate him again, and I think part of it is like, how do you translate like the the nineteen fifties, nineteen eighties thing into a nineteen eighty nine, two thousand sixteen thing, where it's like obviously the sort of social context of those eras are are vastly different, but it just was like I I, I just kind of couldn't believe it, like I just was like that's so awful, and it's amazing to me that that was like sort of okay in the you know, among the screenwriters that no one stopped them and was like, wait a minute, why are you turning this character who in the book and his family situation, which in the book is re- rendered as like very stable and wholesome um, into this like, yeah, just complete stereotype. I don't know.
0: That's awful. I had a, no idea. That's
1: a bummer.
0: <laughs> um, so that's what Mike is doing. And one thing we should note about Mike, as we haven't noted it yet, is that he's played by Isaiah Mustafa, who is literally the Old Spice guy. <laughs> i mean i know that you're a sports guy jack i know and i think didn't he used to be like a football player also uh
2: possibly i don't know actually uh i don't
0: know i think i saw something like that i think he may have been an athlete at some point in any case uh he he's a confident actor uh as it turns out um not bad in the movie Mm -hmm. and then the other two kids that we're dealing with are um eddie who is played by james renson um uh, Renson, uh, who is probably most famous as the character Ziggy from season two of The Wire, but is quite an accomplished actor otherwise. Totally, yeah. Uh, he is, um, his story is the most boring, I would say. This is where we can kind of maybe get into the Bill Hader thing that's going on, which is very bizarre. Yeah. So, this uh, Eddie in the movie is basically dealing with trauma from his mother, like being sad about his mother possibly dying or like something like that. And he's also just like sort of like a, He's basically like a germaphobe and like a worrywart, generally.
1: Hypochondriac, Hypoch- yeah. yeah, yeah. And I remember in the first movie, his mom was portrayed as very sort of overbearing, and at times she struck me as borderline abusive. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: and this movie has a really weird joke that I don't think is in the book about him also marrying like an overweight woman, and there's like weird fat jokes about it. This
1: whole movie had a lot of fat phobia that yeah. I did not like.
0: Yeah, there was a. It was a really weird thing that they did with it. It um, felt like a
1: thing that was probably very endemic to a work from the '80s, but that we really. Mm-hmm didn't need to carry into a movie made in 2019. But
0: my understanding is that Eddie did not have relationships in the book. Is that right, Jack? Uh,
2: no, Eddie is married in the book.
0: Oh, he yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, I must have misread something. Um, the reason that I bring it up is because fans sort of have sort of shipped him and Richie and have this idea mm-hmm. that Eddie is in love with Richie. Um, and, and they take some scenes in the miniseries as proof of it. It's a super subtextual thing but then in this movie Eddie yeah. is <laughs> Eddie is Eddie is clearly uh heterosexual I mean seemingly he's married to a woman but Bill Hader's character Richie is now a professional comic as we mentioned before all of a sudden in the middle of the movie Adrian Mellon who was the man who was killed at the beginning in the hate crime sort of shows up and I should say that he's played by Xavier Dolan who's this sort of Quebecois filmmaker who like is like quite beloved and it's like it was really tempting not to get mad at it the fact that he was in it but he like <laughs> he plays this like slinky zombie who like comes by and says something to or gives him a flyer or something and calls him handsome and Bill Hader looks like kind of horrified and then Pennywise shows up as like a giant statue and then later like, there's I actual Pennywise scene. the giant statue is so bizarre <laughs> it
1: was so funny
0: I, I swear to God that this movie just was successful and Warner Brothers was like just throw a ton of fucking money at it because we really have to like make this like a big blockbuster event sequel um, anyway you know it's a bizarre scene where a giant statue is trying to kill Bill <laughs> yeah. Hader and I then, love that scene. And then Pennywise starts uh, alluding to a secret. He says, "There's a secret that like you can't are keeping from everybody." And I'm like thinking, "Jesus, what did he do? Did he like maybe kill a child himself or something?" Like <laughs> it seems like something really bad is going on. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out it, it comes clearer and clearer that his secret is that he's gay. That is the whole secret, and it's, it's it's so bizarrely treated. And that is totally new from my understanding. Is that right, Jack?
2: Yeah, it's completely new, and I agree. It was. So bizarre, just like the handling of it was so just kind of tone deaf and awful. Yeah, it was just it was I, I
0: was just like it was just so strange that like, I mean, yeah, some people do have a lot of problems with their sexuality into midlife. And like it is terrifying for some people, the idea of coming out being a comic in Los Angeles and not right. even having like a side piece. It's like a little bit strange. Right. But I guess I guess that's the thing.
1: Well, I mean, again, it felt to me like something that was, you know, <sighs> A lot of this movie, its sensibilities, if not individual plot points, felt very informed by when it was originally created, right? Even though
0: they're making up all of these things. Right.
1: They're making up all these things. There's no reason. And again, this isn't even a plot point that existed originally. And yet it did feel like it was being treated as though we're still in the 1980s. It was very Mm -hmm. confusing to me. And the other thing that I found interesting with the whole Bill Hader plot was as it sort of becomes increasingly obvious what this big horrible secret is it also felt to me and this could have just been me but it felt almost like it was being played for suspense which friend he had a crush on for a minute it felt to me like they were implying he had a crush on stan that was Mm. my initial thought especially the scene i believe it was uh his uh bar mitzvah right stan's bar mitzvah that then eddie Bill Hader was attending. It felt like there was like a moment there where he was sort of like looking on. I don't know. The whole thing just felt very strange to me the way it was handled. I agree. It was bizarre.
0: I agree. And I thought that what the reason that I felt like it was trying to tether it to the opening hate crime because there's another scene where other teenagers that aren't the same ones are like kids their age like the bullies are sort of harassing him in a homophobic way. Like it seems like maybe mm. he has a crush on a boy for a minute. Yeah, and then they come the over arcade. and start yelling at him. And like a, it was like in a video game, uh, right? An arcade. Um, yeah, it was just so so bizarre. And I was like watching the movie, thinking this can't be what's really happening. And we'll get to the end hopefully soon. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're nearly we're nearly coming up in an hour already. We're we're doing okay, I think. Uh, but in the end, they still don't even really explicitly say it. They like there's like, there's enough that you it's 100% text like it's definitely what's yeah. happening, but they don't yeah. there's no scene where he's like guys. There's no scene where he actually says anything out loud about it at all. No,
1: the which most is so we, strange. the most we get but, is him carving into the carving the little I think it's the heart with his and uh Eddie's initials, right? That's yes. like the only real confirmation we get that like yes, this is it. And yes, it is Eddie. (laughs)
0: It's so weird. Um, well, the reason that he's carving the initials, let's pop into that. Um, (laughs) so we're leaving a lot out in the middle of the movie here, but believe me when I say that there's, this goes on with these various traumas and it's it's just, it's just, they're juggling so much. And it's actually sort of impressive from a narrative standpoint that they keep them moving as well as they do. Um, as Jack said before, it's not boring, so.
2: Yeah. And it's actually, it's reliably pretty scary. Like I, I, I found at least like it, until again, like probably the last half an hour or so where it kind of turns into like an act, almost like an action movie. Um, but I did feel yes. like a lot of their, like, I think he's a, he's a good horror filmmaker. And like, I, I mean, we could talk some about the visual effects too, which were like pretty, pretty, uh, creative. I thought.
0: I agree. Yeah. No. I think Machete's good. He's a director. Um, he's an Argentine director who also made a movie called Mama, which was sort of like a good B mm-hmm. middle of the road horror movie that was like pretty solid. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I I don't I don't find it that scary. I found it I find it more disturbing, but I did I, I certainly find it unnerving. I, the first movie I thought was scarier. Did you think this one was was worse, Jack?
2: Um, I think I might have been actually found this one a little bit scarier. I, I, it's been a while since I watched the first one. Um. Like, I definitely thought, like, this one had a lot of, like, really well done sort of jump scares, which are, I'm really susceptible to. Like, it's like, that's my, like, that stuff really sets me on edge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I definitely, there were a number of times in this movie where I was like, whoa, I'm really scared and almost to a point where it's, like, kind of unpleasant. But, uh, I mean, not that many, but but definitely a few. Yeah. Uh, and um i don't know i think like i i've read some reviews where they're like this movie isn't scary and i'm like i don't think that like i i, I feel like i don't know um it's it definitely scared me at, at points
0: yeah i think that that's legit i at, it's like we have this thing called the Scarity scale then it's broken down where we like rate how scary horror movies are and it's broken mm-hmm. into exactly what you're describing jack like like, jump scare level, like, spookiness. Like, it depends on what scares you, I think. And I I definitely jumped— I multiple times jumped in my seat to the point where I think, like, I bumped into the person next to me. (laughs) I certainly had reactions. Um, I I do think it is pretty scary.
1: Oh, just— There was so much— I felt like this one had less tension, and particularly because of the runtime, the longer a movie— The longer a horror movie goes— the more you run the risk of sort of losing the audience and dulling their nerves is my only thing. Yeah. So to me, like, this movie was less scary to me, but largely just because we already knew more or less what was going to happen anyway. This is already a sequel, and now it's much longer. And as I think Jack said earlier, it's very strangely paced, which did take away some of the sort of, again, the tension. It just erodes it for me
0: yeah I agree, and there's just so many different moods too. This movie tries to replicate the whole thing where they're joking constantly and like kind of like ripping on each other yeah. in a way that I didn't think really worked for the adults the way that it did for the kids, particularly when they had the kids come back. the kids are in this movie quite a bit in flashbacks um and it just reminded me of how charming they were in the first movie yeah. and how they really were a good ensemble and in this it's a great cast. I mean shit, they really got good people, yeah. but it's it just doesn't work as well. They don't quite have the chemistry, I thought,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. I do think a lot of the humor, especially for Bill Hader's character, was also used to establish his sort of rapport with Eddie. And I think that might have been why at times it was laid on a little thick. I think it was performed well, but from a writing Mm -hmm. standpoint, I think it was a little overwritten in terms of just, we've got to have these people flirting. We've got to have them, you know, it's got to like harken back to when they were kids sitting in their clubhouse, like jostling in a hammock. Like, it all felt very to be like, see, that thing they were doing as kids, they're still doing it now because he's still in love. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Do you see?
0: Can I ask you as Hollywood writer at Vanity Fair who knows about these things? um, Someone, I saw somewhere that there's Oscar buzz for a bull hater for this movie. Is that a real thing?
1: You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that I have no idea, but I kind of (laughs) hope God. I mean, you are you what? kidding me? You know what? I just want Bill Hader to have an Oscar. I don't care how he gets I it. I like
0: Bill Hader, but give me a fucking break. Listen, yeah.
1: as I said, I'm not saying I think this movie should be it. But if it gets Bill Hader an Oscar, let's get him to EGOT. I don't care.
2: It's funny. I, I love Bill Hader, but it's like I feel like the like, Barry has gotten so much praise. And like, it's great. Like, it's deserved. But it's almost like he's one of those actors who now, like, he's done so much like kind of impressive dramatic work that people forget that he's originally a comedian. And it's like, this movie, yeah, I keep seeing his performance. People are like, oh, it's it's a scene stealing performance. Like who knew he had this type of performance? And you're like, he's a comedian. He's play and he's playing a comedian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's like it's good, but it's like he's great, but it's like he could do this in his sleep. Like I didn't feel like it was showing me some new side of Bill Hader, you know. I think
1: implicit in that conversation is people saying they're amazed that Bill Hader, straight Bill Hader, can play gay Richie. I think that's I think that's implicit in what they are saying, because otherwise, as you say, there's really no argument to be made that he's doing anything we haven't seen him do before. I honestly think that it's just one of those bizarre things that people do where it's like, oh,
0: (laughs) I think that you might be onto something there. I think it's still seen as brave to play kind of a gay character like this if you're an actor of that stature. And I should say, Jack, I agree with you about Barry. We could have a whole show about Barry, the HBO series (laughs) where he plays an assassin if if the listener doesn't know. Okay, I think so the midsection of the movie, a lot of things happen, but we need to get into the sewers. Um, and I just realized that we totally <laughs> forgot about um Ben, uh, the character who um <laughs> uh, who is now played by a Kiwi Australian soap opera actor named Jay Ryan. and he's just like the one who had the biggest glow up and it's just like absolutely beautiful now. And it seems like they all kind of want him. Mm-hmm. Or no, he's in love with Beverly is what it is. He's so in love
1: with Beverly. He's so in love with Beverly. My
0: favorite scene of the movie was, I don't remember what part it came in, was when they reenacted the scene of the bullies carving something into his stomach, but now he just has these ridiculous abs, and it's just like a disgusting scene (laughs) where he's having something carved in it, but you just can't stop staring at how perfect his body is. It's such a disaster. It's Um, a real
1: juxtaposition. (laughs) uh,
0: Anyway, Uh, so the sewers. So, of course... Uh, At a a relatively reasonable point in this movie, they go down into the sewers in order to kill it. Of course, it's under this like really creepy old house um, that has another lovingly sort of done scene with like more special effects monsters. What is it? Someone's head or something comes in. Yeah.
2: Stan's head uh, Uh, becomes like a spider. Yeah. Yeah. Child Stan's head, though. Not adult Stan's head. Yeah. Yeah. That was rough. Um, And then.
0: And then they go down into the sewer in order to kill Pennywise. And it, it, a reasonable person might think that the movie is close to ending, but like, oh no, no. it has another hour.
3: Somehow. Oh my God,
0: so to, to prevent us from talking for another hour, uh, Jack, will you quickly lead us into what's going on down there and what the ritual that they're sort of starting to do is, and the whole circumstance.
2: Yeah, so they do this thing called The Ritual of Jude, um, which is in the book, like that term, but uh, they, the movie sort of changes up pretty drastically what it kind of entails in a way that, like, I honestly couldn't even totally make heads or tails of, but it involves, it's weirdly turns into, like, a labyrinth, like the movie labyrinth type thing where they have to, like, mm-hmm. tell the thing they're not afraid of it. Um, you know, they, there's a part where they're, like, lobbing insults at it, Um Yeah. And I mean, for me, the weird, I mean, so they're down in this thing and it's like, you know, you're getting into, you have like references to like the deadlights and things like that, which are, which are sort of taken from the book. Um, and they're, yeah, there's this sort of final confrontation, um, where they're having to kill Pennywise in this sequence. Eddie, gets killed. Um, he gets killed by, by Pennywise. There's a whole, you know, Pennywise, you think Pennywise is dead like four times and then he keeps coming back. Um, I mean, I thought like the pro like I, the the ending to me just felt like I was like now I just feel like I'm watching like an Avengers movie or something where it's like the last thirty minutes is just like this incoherent sequence of like things blowing up and like 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 it it turned into like an, a sort of again like I said before like an like kind of an action movie in this way that just felt tonally really off and it was like it was just way too long yes and then you know they kill it (laughs) well so they think they killed it right yeah 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 Yeah, they think they killed him and then they then he comes back and kills eddie and then then they kill him again by shouting insults at him and then they take his heart out and destroy his heart um which is that that is true to the to the book and then am i missing anything it's
0: yeah, no, I mean, Eddie's death is the main thing, and that's sort of when they the, the movie really, really tips his card on the Bill Hader thing, because Bill Hader's very, very sad that Eddie, Eddie is dead.
1: Future Oscar nominee Bill Hader.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, no, basically, yeah, that scene... The scene was really weird where they eventually do find out how to kill him or get him small enough that so they can rip his heart out and stab it or whatever it is that they do um, where they're just like yelling and like lobbing insults and making him small literally. He
1: Benjamin buttons like he actually Benjamin buttons and like deflates before our eyes into this little tiny clown baby.
0: Yeah it is. is. I found that scene pretty disturbing honestly. Like I was kind of like I agree with you that it was indeterminable and the whole thing was so long and Avengers-y but that part I thought was relatively Well rendered.
2: um. Yeah, it was definitely really visually cool. Like I definitely thought like the shrinking Pennywise and like, yeah, that was that was I thought well done. Although I did was like, I was like, wait a minute. Like this is like this like millennia old evil that's been like lurking between behind below the streets of Derry for all of these years. And like the way to defeat it is to like hurt its feelings.
1: It's very (laughs) comical. And it's very funny how long oh, they man. yell and, like, what yeah. they're— ge- Like, it just—the whole idea of, like, the way to defeat this p- supernatural, crazy, powerful bully is to just bully it back. It's no, like- totally.
0: <laughs> you would call it yeah. anticlimactic if there wasn't so much climax. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: much. Um, yeah. One performance that we have not talked about yet uh, is the performance of Pennywise, who is played by a scar. Do you remember, do you remember what the first name? Bill. Bill yeah, Bill. Right. Yeah. Uh he is out of makeup sometimes in this movie and has all the kinds of different forms and is like quite delightful as pennywise, I think, as far as you can be delightful in this mm-hmm. role.
1: My favorite thing that I've learned about Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise is that when his eye does the thing where they point in two different directions, he can actually do that. (laughs) That's not Ah. an effect. I think Bill Hader was the one who said that at some press junket. He was like, he can actually do that, and it's quite scary. And I'm like, that honestly is the coolest thing I could have learned.
2: (laughs) I think that the Tim Curry performance from the miniseries is still the best Pennywise performance. It's just like so good. Uh, But he did... I think Skarsgård does a really good job with the role. What, To his credit, he doesn't try to replicate the Tim Curry performance, which is just, like, really weird and creepy and, like, kind of kind of comic in certain ways. Um, and, yeah, Skarsgård just, like, I mean, he totally goes, throws himself into it. It's, like, pretty cool to watch.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. There's no being Tim Curry in this role. It's sort of like a, a Anthony Hopkins, uh, Hannibal Lecter type of deal. Yeah, totally. Like, this just is, this just is like... never going to be done. Other people can play it and probably be fine at it, but it will never be like that. Uh, but I did think that overall in this he was pretty fun. So wow, we did a good job with that last hour. We're already <laughs> through it. Uh, but basically, from there, Eddie's dead, and they leave his body, and then they all surface back, and we start getting epilogues. Bill Hader's epilogue is that he loved Eddie, and he scratches their name into a post or something, and they don't even say anything except for the voiceover during the who's kind of narrating the epilogue is Stan, who has sent them all, um, "I committed suicide" mm-hmm. letters. Um, yeah. Or maybe
2: just one letter. It was one. It one was letter.
1: one that I think Xeroxed. it was his wife was like, you need to see
2: this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, he Xeroxed it? His last, I, I think it was like that was the implication. So like oh his God. last act.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, that's just.
2: You know
1: what? That's
0: <laughs> The movie also, if we're calling the movie out quite a bit for its weird things, but it also has this weird implication that he was noble by
1: yeah, committing didn't suicide love that.
0: and like allow them in to go
2: book either. Yeah, that's like that's, that, that. whole thing is like I was like, so what are doing? Here? He's like, yeah. I
1: knew you could never succeed if, if I, didn't I didn't come do back. This. But I knew that you
0: all needed to be together, so I decided to do this. Uh, and he's too weak. So I widowed my wife. <laughs> it's, just, it's 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 quite it's quite terrible. Um, but anyway, so they're reading this. Someone's reading this, or maybe he's reading the letter. And he implores Bill Hader to be proud in a very pregnant scene where the camera's like just very trained on him. And I'm just like, Jesus. And then Jessica Chastain, Beverly, ends up with um, hot soap opera guy, Ben. Uh, no longer abuse. That's good. And then uh, what happens to Mike? I can't remember.
2: Mike, it's implied that he's going to leave Derry. Um, oh, and go, him. go off to I don't know. You and know. wasn't
1: the whole thing that if you leave Derry, that's how you forget? So, like, he's leaving Derry, he will get to forget all of this? Wasn't that an implication? Yes.
0: Um, and it seems okay that he's going to forget, because it's something we should oh, clarify. Yeah. People maybe didn't realize, they really do kill it. It just turns out yeah. the Native Americans didn't kill it. Like, they thought they were going to, but then they didn't. But he re- they really did. He's dead. It's dead. It is dead. Okay. <laughs> it is dead. Um, and then, who are we missing? Um... Oh, Bill. What happens with Bill? Does he have, like, a son or something?
2: Oh, He's shown finishing his novel.
1: Yeah, he Uh, finishes the novel. Oh, that's right. After that long-running joke about how he sucks at endings, he finishes the novel. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
0: so the whole joke through the movie is that Bill can't write an ending, and all the endings of his movies are terrible. And, um, you know, it's you can't imagine why. It's maybe because he doesn't have closure in Derry. But then he gets closure, and I guess he writes endings.
1: Also because, you know, they just wanted to gently self-efface Stephen King.
0: <laughs>
2: yes, Yeah, well- totally. And I mean, it's like that, which is sort of like as a Stephen King fan, like there's actually, Stephen King's novels are like pretty good at self-effacement. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever read Misery, but it's this kind of like, uh, Misery is kind of a hilarious book that's sort of like him imagining his own sort of position within one of his novels kind of thing. Um, and same with Bill Denbro, the character in the book is very much obviously supposed to be sort of a Stephen King surrogate And uh, yeah, rendered in a way that's like pretty self-aware, and like I mean, King. I think Stephen King's got like a pretty, pretty decent sense of humor about um, his own work and stuff. And by all accounts, is uh just like a pretty, a pretty cool guy. It seems
0: to me that that's definitely true. Um, And it's worth noting that his cameo in the movie is with Bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is um the James McAvoy character who's his surrogate. Um, so I guess to wrap up here, which woo. I this is part of a huge spate of uh, uh, Stephen King adaptations. There's so many now, and he's so brought back into pop culture. And I'm wondering if either of you guys have a sense of why it is um, that he suddenly is so popular again, other than its great IP, and um, mm-hmm. also uh, if you have any recommendations of the current ones that you think are the best ones. Because I think we all agree that this was not necessarily the strongest of all of the adaptations that have come out recently. Yeah. Uh, do you want to start, Laura? I'm
1: thinking. Uh, I mean, I do think that a big part of it is just the popular IP and also just sort of the compounding effect that you get for each project that successfully launches with Stephen King's name on it, right? That name then becomes more powerful. So I do think, you know, you can't really overstate The importance of the fact that not only is this familiar IP, that in some ways, I think the fact that a lot of them have been adapted before helps even more. Mm -hmm. Because even if you haven't ever read a book by Stephen King, you've probably seen something adapted from Stephen King.
0: Yeah, I think that it might be that there's no big cultural explanation for this. But I do think it's interesting. I mean, I'm basically inviting Jack to talk about Castle Rock, the Hulu series, (laughs) Uh, and also to diagnose this whole thing. Because I quite like Castle Rock, and I also... I'm not I don't mind revisiting these stories because I think that um generally speaking that he has like quite an impressive uh sort of portfolio of adaptations I would say. So, take us out, Jack.
2: Yeah, I mean, I obviously I'll try to keep this relatively brief, but um I mean, <laughs> I think part of it is that like well, I think King has um grown immensely in stature in terms of like the recognition that his his work has gotten. Like he's definitely someone that it wasn't until relatively recently that people like you know, sort of serious critics started being like, oh, okay, actually, this guy's like kind of contributed an enduring body of work and really is like has been really sort of influential on American literature and culture. Um, So I think that that and and a lot of the earlier adaptations, the things that we're seeing getting remade kind of reflect that uh, that his work was really, I think, treated kind of shabbily and treated sort of like commodity. There's a lot of really bad Stephen King adaptations, um, I mean, there's certainly some great ones, but I think the majority are, are pretty bad. Um, and I, so there's a lot there that you can kind of go back to, you know, like we saw that with the, um, you know, I didn't see the Pet Cemetery remake, but a lot of what we're seeing is basically remakes at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's really valuable IP. Um, and also, I mean, I think frankly, like the fact that, um, he, uh, or that the, that the first it movie was so successful, like just like, you know, um, shockingly successful, I think, for most people Um, that this was like a movie that just like so far exceeded expectations. And now, which is obviously there's been a run on his stuff that started before that, but I think it's it's only increased. And yeah, Castle Rock is pretty cool. He's also, I think, become more sort of interested on his own end with, with in this sort of stuff. Like he's definitely, you know, he's a executive producer and I think somewhat involved actually in the in the Castle Rock series. and uh, he's also I'm, if I could put in a plug, he has written some really awesome stuff recently. <laughs> like his like I read his I think it was his most recent novel was this book called The Outsider. It was great. Like, it just was like, it was, it's as good as, like, I mean, it's up there with, I think, like, some of his best stuff. Um, and he wrote that yeah. 11 63 book, right. um, which was this weird concept, but also was just, like, really well done. Got And these are books, too, that have gotten, like, really good reviews being reviewed, you know, a lot getting, like, really major sort of contemporary novelists who are sort of coming out of the woodwork and being like, I love Stephen King, you know, particularly a younger generation. Um, so I think all of that kind of kind of is playing into it.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably true. I didn't I didn't really realize that he had recent books. I had heard of the 11, 22, 63. Mm, interesting, perhaps I will look up this outsider.
2: Yeah, it's um, really, it's good.
0: Well, and with that, um, we have successfully in one hour spoiled an adaptation of a book that people said was unfilmable and we and you could perhaps say it's unspoilable, but I think we kind of spoiled it.
1: I think we spoiled the hell out of it.
0: Well good job <laughs> us. Uh thank you so much for coming in, Laura. It's been a delight. Of course. And Jack, you're um uh, professorship is really coming through for us today thank you so much <laughs> for everything that you I'm brought chair,
2: up. chair of it studies temporarily oh.
0: <laughs> if only uh, thank you so much for your wise wise guidance through um this sort of unknowable text i appreciate it sure no
2: thanks for having me on this was really fun
0: thank you everybody for listening um if you've seen this movie already uh, i feel for you and if you haven't yet i hope that we absolved you of the need